Football season will be here quicker than you think. When planning your football trips, we know that one of the biggest pains is arranging your pregame tailgate party. This season, let gridirontailgates.com take care of all of your tailgating needs. They provide everything for your large private party, including a private party tent, tables, satellite TV, catering, a personal bartender, and set up and takedown. Visit gridirontailgates.com and enter promo code PAC12, P-A-C-1-2, to receive 10% off your group's next tailgate or call 303-359-5328. Gridirontailgates.com are here to make your tailgate experience easy, affordable, and enjoyable. Again, that phone number is 303-359-5328. Gridirontailgates.com. Enter code PAC12. Now available in more homes than the PAC12 network, we are the podcast of champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack. And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC. We are the podcast of champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the 24-7 Sports site. Well, actually, it's the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. You're not that big yet. You're not that big yet, all right? No, I don't run 24-7 Sports. Uh, Maybe one day we will, Dave, but I, I run the USC site. On the 24-7 Sports Network, and together we are the podcast of champions, not the 24-7 Sports Network, but I think we have their full backing, Dave. I think the full backing, the full support, um, fully integrated. We're really we're really like just kind of co-owners with whoever actually owns the network, I think. CBS? Yeah. It's us and CBS. You know, we're right there together. Nice. Yeah, Shannon Terry, the, he, he calls us all the time, you know, for information and ideas. Yeah. And we're there for them, you know, just like we're there for Larry Scott whenever they, you know, have some problems with the Pac-12. And I don't know if you've never listened to the show, maybe you don't realize there's been a few problems with the Pac-12, but there has been. That's kind of why we're here. And we do want to hear from all of you. You can email us if you would like to do that, pac12podcast at gmail.com. You can tweet us. We got some tweets we should probably read at pac12podcast, our website with all our old shows, pac12podcast.com. And, of course, you can leave us a voicemail or send us a text. We got some of those this week. 424-532-0678. We love hearing from you. We'll continue to answer your questions and talk about the news of the day, Dave. And there is so much news of the day. And by that, I mean there's not much, but we're going to make a show out of it. And we're going to do our best. Because we do this every week now. We do. And this week... We're getting towards the end of the week, and it was touch and go there for a bit, but we are, in fact, doing a show, and that's fantastic for you, the listener. For us, the recorder, it's all right, but for you, the listener, it is fantastic news heading into your weekend. Yeah. Um, so what, what would you like to talk about first, Dave? I want to talk about um, bowl games generally and okay. the Las Vegas Bowl in particular. So. so- yeah. Oh, you want to do it, or you? You can do it. Go, go for it. 
I, I mean, you know, there was just, just a pregnant pause, and I didn't know if I should fill it or not. <laughs> um, so our buddy, we have to mention every show by you know contractually, uh, John Wilner. I think started beating this drum a while back, but we all sort of knew Vegas was going to be this thing. You know, they're going to have a new stadium. Um, would the Pac-12 championship move there? Would uh, they maybe play a bowl game there? Would they play a pregame, you know, one of the early games there? So uh, it was coming out this week. Uh, Brett McMurphy wrote on Facebook that the Las Vegas Bowl plans to upgrade its pairing from a second-rate Sam Boyd Stadium to the, the new Raider Stadium. Um, and so, and there was also talking about officials uh, – what was it? The as far as the pregame, like the the pregame bowl, they wanted to do something between the Pac-12 and the SEC potentially in Las Vegas. So, um, did I get that right? Hopefully, I didn't screw that. I just got back from vacation, so my mind's all over the place. But no, I, I, th- I, th- I think you more or less nailed it. Um, yeah, and I think the, I mean, obviously, the the best case scenario, I think, for the Pac-12, and I think Wilner's beating this drum properly, is get the Pac-12 championship in Vegas. Um, because that's first, it's a true neutral site. Like it's not like it's, you know, it is four hours. It's driving distance from LA, but it's also driving ish distance from Phoenix. And you know, if you like driving through Yosemite, it's driving distance from the Bay Area, and it's driving distance from Salt Lake. So there's there's uh, that element to it. Um, also, it's super cool. If you've ever been to Vegas for the Pac-12 tournament, that's awesome. Um, so that's one use of that stadium. The other use is to upgrade the actual Vegas Bowl itself turn that into one of the premier bowls in the Pac-12, um, a true Western Bowl. It's insane right now that one of the best bowls in the Pac-12, the Alamo Bowl, is, what, a good 700 or 800 miles from the nearest Pac-12 school? And yeah, it's probably fun. more than that. Arizona, Tucson, I don't know the Tucson to San Antonio distance off the top of my head, but it's at least seven or 800, I think. Um, so... That's crazy. So getting that a little bit closer to the footprint is um, ideal. And if they can work in a big neutral site game in September on Labor Day weekend, the same way Atlanta seems to have one or two every year and Dallas has a couple every year, all to the good. That's all fantastic. So um, I'm a big supporter of this. Anything to up the the kind of level of a um, of a West Coast uh, stadium. And who knows, maybe it leads to a, yet another site that um, – the final four can be at, you know? Um, so all of that I think is uh, very interesting and very good. Yeah. I need this, you know, you got to try to bring the uh, center of mass of college football world uh, closer to the West coast. And this stadium certainly looks like it would help do that. Having a pre, you know, early season game or the preseason, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, it's great if you want to see Washington and Auburn or, you know, Oregon, play, you know, whoever these teams, USC and Alabama play teams play early, but when you're always traveling two time zones over, that's not, you know, ideal. You'd like, you know, an Alabama or an LSU or somebody to maybe come to Vegas and play against UCLA or Oregon or whatever, like something like that, I think is better for the conference. There's already that built in advantage for the Rose bowl being in Pac-12 territory. Um, but I think this would be, you know, it would be great to have another bowl like that or a pregame thing like that. We've seen, you know, Jerry's World do a lot of stuff there. They got the new stadium in Atlanta, um, having this new stadium in Vegas, and even the one in LA, they could do stuff with too. But I think Vegas just makes more sense. I think you could lure 
people away. And like I said, Wilner was a, a big advocate for this. So now it looks like um, this you know, could seriously be happening. Yeah, and you know, I think they were trying to position the Foster Farms Bowl or whatever you want to call the the San Francisco Bowl for the longest time as like a potential contender for that, you know, number 2 Pac-12 Bowl spot. But the problem is that I think for fans going to San Francisco just doesn't or going to the Bay Area in general doesn't feel like that sort of event. Um but I think Vegas would. Like I think Vegas is the kind of thing where I could see, you know, big-time football fans at every school saying in September, oh, you know what, I'm going to book a trip to Vegas for that weekend, and if they're in it, great, I'll go to the game, and if not, I'm in Vegas. And I think that, I, I don't know, I think that has more of a draw, and I think, you know, you'll get more neutral observers of the game than you would at, you know, even the, whatever, at the Foster Farm Stadium now, or not Not even, it's not, what the hell is the stadium? Levi Stadium, wow. Levi Stadium, yeah. Whew, whew, that was That's a struggle. That's not my favorite place, you know, like. It's a dump. That's not like, a, you know, if you go to uh, Jerry's World, you go to AT&T Stadium, and you go to Levi's, it's just like, they're like different, they're not even like the same kind of a building, like, <laughs> you know, so I think the the one in Vegas is going to be more like what you see, uh, you know, not to the, you know, not the $4 billion, whatever the one in LA is going to be, but, um, and it's Vegas, so, you know, you we, we saw the Stanley Cup finish up last night, if you had to lose, you know, if you have to win the Stanley Cup on the road, um, that's probably the place to do it. People, you would fly to Vegas afterwards. You're already in Vegas when you want. So Washington wins the cup. They get to go right out to the casino. So it's, it's a great place to finish up sporting events. I would say. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so then the other bit is the, um, five and seven teams, um, are now in the pack 12 barred from bowl games, or at least that's my understanding of it. Is it a hard and fast rule? Yeah, no, I believe, yes, I believe they're saying they're no longer, um, well, they won't be able, not that that's happened recently, but they won't be able to, if it's 5-17 and 17 in the Pac-12, uh, you won't be able to uh, accept a bowl bid, which is based on, a, you know, top APR scores, like the top 5-7 and seven teams in the country with their top APR scores are the ones that are uh, eligible, I believe. Yeah, and so what? what's your thought on this? Because I'm kind of agnostic on it. I, I think there's some element where, yeah, that does seem a little ridiculous that this happens. But at the other level, it's just, I, I don't know, it's kind of a good experience for the kids. And it's another opportunity for a team to practice. And it's another football game. So I don't, I don't know, I kind of go either way on it. But I'm interested to hear if you have any strong thoughts. Not really, but it's like, it's just one of those things like, do we need another rule for that? Like, is that, uh, um, if you, if you read the athletic uh, there, I get the newsletter, Max Olson started by saying the PAC 12 has taken a stand against mediocrity by voting to prohibit its football teams with five and seven records from playing in bowl games. It's like, yeah, what are you taking a stand against in this? Like I, it's not something that comes up very often. If it was some specific thing where you're like, yeah, we don't, you know, well, I don't think, uh, Oregon State should sneak into this bowl game or whatever it is. Like, it just didn't seem like this is a big problem that you needed to come up with a rule for. Like, it, you need to be working on getting getting teams into the playoff, not, well, we had nine bowl teams and we, our, our record was one and eight. So we, we would rather be one and seven and not have that five and seven team make it in. Yeah. And I, so, and the other thing is, I don't know the economics of it. I don't know if, if the five and seven bowl games are, um, are they a loser? I, I don't know. Um, because, you know, the teams obviously have travel costs and I know the low, the, 
the lower bowl games can be uh, not necessarily a huge money uh, event for the schools. So maybe it's a financial decision. I don't know, but it seems uh, it does seem like they're just kind of making a rule for absolutely no discernible reason. Yeah, and last year um, there were uh, no five and seven teams in bowls, so. Uh, there were three with losing records that went in 2015 and 2016. So it's not like there's been some huge, uh, you know, crisis. We've seen this going on and on. Um, now, and Max Olson went on to write about, there are five teams that are around that four to six win bubble. If you look at some of the projections out there, like Washington state's projected 6.7 wins, UCLA 5.6, Cal 5.4, Arizona state 4.9 and Colorado 4.3. So, I mean, there's potential that one or two Pac-12 teams could end up five and seven this year, but it's like, are you really looking like, oh, you know, we're probably gonna have a couple of five and seven teams. We don't want them making bowl. I don't get it. I'm just not sure why you would speculate that or why this was a problem and and why you have to be the only Power Five conference to do that. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't know. I, here's the thing. Even if it is like a, a decent enough financial calculation, like you're making, you know, you're saving a little bit of money. I don't know why you need to be first on this weird thing. Like, this doesn't... I mean, just continue doing it, and if everyone decides they're not going to send five and seven teams, well, great. But it also... I mean, it's going to event... It's going to, you know, hurt the overall thing because there will be fewer bowl games if more conferences decide to do this. And we can have an argument on the merits of whether or not there should be so many bowl games and all that jazz, but... um, I don't know. This is going to be, uh, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. And if, you know, if the Pac-12 ends up with four, five, and seven teams this year that otherwise would have made a bowl game, it'll be kind of fun. Yeah. Um, all right. So there's the bowl stuff. Did you, should we talk a little bit about the question we got last week about um, the top recruits? Yes. The- let's talk about that. Let's discuss that at great length. Okay, well, I don't know if we should. Dave does not feel like we should, but we did get some. So I reached out to everybody. We got a few responses. I end up writing a story that actually got a lot of attention on, you know, on the the peristyle on the message board. So I picked three. I haven't done the the three biggest misses yet, but I'll we'll probably, I'll try to do that at some point. But the three biggest recruits from since two thousand for me were Reggie Bush, um, players who weren't even really born when he <laughs> almost when he was playing still talk about him to this day. So he's been, had a huge impact on USC and we're, and I, we took it from the point of not like you got some recruit that no one ever heard of and they end up being a great player. It's, it's really about, it was a really important recruit at the time, like one of the top players in the country and then did great things. So I put him there. I put Sean Cody because he was really the top. If you remember the time back when Pete Carroll took over at USC, um, a lot of the the five-star players in California were going to Florida State or Miami or Notre Dame. They weren't staying on the West Coast nearly as much. And he got Sean Cody to stay local and kind of really start like, look, hey, he bought into what Pete Carroll was selling and was the first like big-time recruit that Pete Carroll got. So I thought he kind of laid the groundwork for a lot of the other guys they got since then. And then more recently, I put a Dory Jackson, who was uh, you know local Sarah kid from that pipeline. Uh, kind of jack of all trades, do it all, and and Reggie Bush like where a lot of skill position players looked up to him and then wanted to kind of you know 
potentially follow in his footsteps. So those were, I don't know if you disagree or agree, but those were the three I picked for USC since 2000. I think that's pretty good. Um, I'm going to go off the top of my head for UCLA. Uh, okay. But I think yours are right. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I think any, any list has to start with Reggie Bush, so I think that's 100% right. Because um, that is still, I know I make this point a lot, it is still impacting recruiting to this day. To this day. With USC guys going, oh yeah, I grew up watching Reggie Bush. You were three years old. <laughs> you weren't watching Reggie Bush. Just, uh, but but, um, it, but they mentioned it, which is crazy, you know. It's bizarre. Um, so that's USC, and I think that's all right. Um, and I, but I think USC probably has a harder time than most other schools because there have been uh, obviously so many top tier recruits. Um, UCLA, um, so how did you contextualize this? Most important at the time and I, also their impact once they were in school or just most important at the time? I think the impact in school was very important, but if it was someone that was a sleeper, I, that was, you deducted points. Like if it was important at the time and long-term, that that's what I tried to okay. uh, base it on. So like, if it was like the great, you know, if it was. Uh, Cade McNown, and you were talking about uh, you know winning twenty game, whatever it is. If he was like a nobody, I wouldn't rank him as high. Even though, but he might be the greatest player, and then you could still be up there. But I would dig on points for not being really important at the time he was signed. If that makes sense. Got it. Um, all right. So I think number one, probably Brett Hundley, probably um, in terms of what he was able to do those first three years under Mora. Um, obviously he was a big time five-star guy. Um, so I think that one is number one, number two. So this is where like the impact in school comes into play because Josh Rosen has to factor into the conversation and he made a huge impact in school, but the team didn't win a bunch, but it's UCLA. So it's hard to just categorize this in terms of the team winning a bunch because I mean, it's all right. It's been a rough 18 years. All right, people. Um, so I'll go Josh Rosen there. Um, that was a big recruitment. Um, number one guy in the country by some rankings. Um, certainly the number one quarterback by a lot of rankings. Um, and then number three is kind of the tricky one. I would probably be inclined to go Maurice Drew because it was a big-time recruit for Carl Durrell um, in his first offseason. Uh, credit going to Eric Bieniemy in large part. But um, you could also make the claim that Maurice Drew – uh, extended Durrell's time at UCLA by maybe a full year or two years because if he hadn't been on the roster in 2005, that 10 and two team quickly becomes six and six, um, and then you're looking at a much different trajectory for Durrell, where he probably doesn't have that peak year that bottom another two. Um, so I'd go Maurice Drew in that number three slot. Um, I think there are some other contenders. Um, yeah. From a impact at the time standpoint, you could make a Ben Olsen argument, but obviously that was a very disappointing scenario when he got hurt a bunch once he was in school. Um, so, yeah, I think I'll go Hunley, then Rosen, then Maurice Drew. I think, yeah, I think that's a great list. I mean, you know, getting a, you know, when you're talking like a five star guy, especially you're in the shadow of, of USC and you get like a Josh Rosen or so, you know, people like that to commit it ends up being a really big deal. And then they have tons of success on the field too. It, you know, obviously that helps. And but yeah, that, that looks, seems like a really good list. 
All right. Well, I appreciate your feedback, and I'm interested to hear the feedback from all of the UCLA people who have like really, really, really vile things to say about my list and have other decisions and choices they made. Yeah. Well, we got at least two. I thought we got uh, Washington to write into, and I can't find it right now, so I, I apologize for that. But we did get um, uh, Utah. So we got some Steve Bartell wrote in. So his number one recruit, he had Alex Smith. Um, you know, obviously he had that undefeated season. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, what? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, he so he led his team to a 25 and one record. Uh, uh, let's uh, during um, for high school uh, at Helix. Um, so I mean, he was good then. He enrolled at Utah for the 2002 season. Um, he had 340 yards, two touchdowns uh, against the Oregon Ducks when he first got there. And then Urban Meyer never looked back. So, yeah, what was it? The 12-0 and season, he defeated the Pitt Panthers in the Fiesta Bowl. Yep. So, huge recruit there. Um, number two, he had Eric Weddle. Um, so, you remember him. He's still Is he still playing? He, I think he's still playing. Yeah, he's playing. still playing. Yeah. Um, so, a uh, huge player there. And then number three, uh, Garrett Bowles. Um, so, simply put, the way... Uh, this was and remains the biggest recruiting victory in Utah football history. He was the number two JUCO offensive tackle. And with the type of talent that was getting NFL draft buzz going through his recruitment at Snow College. So big time uh, recruit uh, for the Utes. Yeah, I think those are all fair. That makes sense yeah. to me. Devontae Booker, Joe Williams were uh, honorable mention guys. Quarterback Brian Johnson. Nate Orchard, star Latua, Latua Lele. Right. Is that right? I, I go Lota Lele. Latola, uh, wait, what do you say? I go low to Lele. Low to Lele. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. All right. Um, but yeah, good list from uh, from Steve. Thank you over there. And then we have Adam Munster-Tiger who wrote in. So he did, I don't think he put up a story up, uh, but I think they're going to, he's going to run it soon. Um, so he said the most important signings for the purpose of this podcast, Knight Soldier was back in 2006. Philip Lindsay, the running back in 2003, and then kicker Mason Crosby in, uh, I'm sorry, 2013 for Philip Lindsay, and then Mason Crosby in 2003. He said, it might be, seem strange to have a kicker in there, but we know Colorado struggled recent, recent years. Um, he was an absolute rock star uh, for CU. Soldier was the Buffs' last All-American, and Lindsay finishes the school's all-time leader in all-purpose yards and yards from scrimmage. He was 170 yards short of Eric Bieniemy's school rushing mark. So uh, he was also the leader on the, the South Division winning team in 2016. Uh, and he's one of the biggest fan favorites in program history. So um, good stuff there from, from Adam. So we got we got some some feedback from some of our pubs out there. And who would have predicted that Eric Bieniemy would have been mentioned twice in that conversation? Never as a player. Right. Very solid. But, uh, that is kind of interesting. Yeah, good, 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 good. Go team. All right, so we got two responses, so that's great. Nice to know that the uh, offseason is affecting everyone. Um, I thought I thought Washington did, and maybe I just didn't put it in the right folder. I don't see it in my email right now. And like I said, so we're recording this on a Friday. I got to give some props to uh, to Mr. David Woods because I just got back. I was at you know in with wife's family in Tennessee with no, not much internet <laughs> or whatever, and. Uh, had plans to do a podcast during the week, 
um, and was not able to, but I got back last night and asked Dave if he could record one today. So Dave's like completely take the reins today. Bow down to you, Dave, for, for doing the work and, yeah. and dealing with my stuff that I was out of town. Any sound issues that you hear, they are entirely my fault this time. So there you go. People I want to see there. if we do get some feedback. Like it sounded like hopefully they say it sounded better than you just record more often. But if it's not, then then you'll have to go back to doing it. So like yeah. a like a husband who like screws up the laundry. I'm just yeah. gonna make it sound so bad. Like I'm gonna <laughs> add a bunch of feedback in in the uh, in the in the post just so you'll have to do it forever. Dang, I know. I shouldn't have like released. You know, told you like what my plan was there. So yeah, I know. Um, all right. Do we have any other stuff before we get to questions? There was a couple tweets. Do you want me to, you want yeah. to talk about that? Yeah. Let's, let's do the tweets. Um, okay. So there was one, uh, oh, you, there was someone responding to you with solo. Um, so, the, uh, at sports pack 12 been tweeting some decent stats out there. Horrendous lists, like some horrendous lists. Have you been following their like favorite lists? No, like is the it... top twelve basketball arenas in the country, or whatever. Oh, are they oh, horrible? Oh God, it's all bad. It's all horrible. But anyway, uh, go check those out. They're almost like comically awesome. I follow them from our uh, Pac-12 podcast account. Should I unfollow them now because the lists are bad? Or we should no, no, no. I, I I respect it, and it's actually the only way I'll ever see those things. So it's fine. So we had um, at B Money eight eight four tweeted at us. Surprised, Ryan, Dave or David slash Davey, or whatever, LOL, does this confirm or conflict with your thoughts that UCLA underperforms with its talent level and access to resources? And it was in response to Sports Pac-12 list, um, the winning percentage of the last 25 years, 1993 to 2017, Oregon has the highest winning percentage, 700. USC's 200 behind it, uh, 698. Then Utah, 663. And then... Uh, Behind that, UCLA is number four at 559, so significantly lower. Um, Stanford's just in the same in the same breath for UCLA, five Stanford, 557, and Arizona State, 552, with Washington at uh, 543. So Washington not even in the top six, which is kind of crazy, but um, any thoughts on that? Yeah, um, the difference between Oregon at a 700 even winning percentage um, and UCLA at number four at a 559 winning percentage is significantly greater than the difference between UCLA at number four at 559 and Washington State at number 12 at 460. Um, there's a huge step down. UCLA is actually in just kind of a cluster with everybody else um, down in the bottom eight. Um, and last 25 years is not really the reference point I'm using with UCLA football. It's that's That's extending it. About five years too far. If you narrow this to 99 to 2017 or 98 even, if you start with, well, 99 would be the best measure. Uh, 99 to 2017, I think UCLA drops like a rock here um, because this includes the 20-game winning streak, the back-to-back 10 and 2 years, that whole deal, which is functionally ancient history right now. Um, So... I think a better measure is the last 20 years, and in that measure, um, UCLA is probably, I don't know, futzing right around 500 or so. Um, And uh, so, no, I mean, this doesn't necessarily shock me, um, but it is 
I think it's further confirmation that UCLA underachieves because I would think if you're probably doing the median recruiting rankings in that time, UCLA in this group over that period of time is probably number two behind USC. Um, yeah. So to be fourth and in the, like, you know, within a margin of error of Stanford, ASU, Washington, um, not great. I mean, that's not a good reflection of the talent that's been in the program. Yeah, and I feel like some of these lists that have been coming out, they're picking like an arbitrary date or whatever. And we kind of knew Washington, you know, had some some bad moments there when uh, you know, Oregon State's win total in the conference since 2000 was about the same as Washington's. Or someone said it was better, but I think it was, ended up being the same or it was very close, whatever it was, which you wouldn't have expected um, you know, right away, but Oregon State uh, in this list, they were down at number 11. Washington State was worst at 460, and then Oregon State was uh, second from the bottom at 471. So for the people that were questioning the relegation stuff, that that would be why. Yeah, yeah, and that seems um, pretty pretty obvious. That's interesting. Okay. Any other yeah. tweets we got that were good? I think that was, uh, I think that was about uh, about it. There was a tweet that I was like, responded to i don't maybe we'll get your thoughts i think you said i forget what you, you had a pretty funny response to it and stuff but it was basically someone tweeted out a list of the top uh watched games from last year um yeah I think oh it was yeah, Sports yeah, Pack yeah. Both too, right yeah yeah and you 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 spouted off some usc should get like a million more dollars than everybody else nonsense or something and i right. responded what, what they used to usc and ucla used to get more I and know. now they don't but the t- so the yeah they also said the top five games last year so it was by ratings um, most wa- most viewed conference games so USC UCLA was one Stanford USC two USC Utah three USC Cal four and then UCLA Washington five so an LA school was involved in all of these uh, some the top one was both LA schools and to me it just it it made more sense when there was it wasn't equally shared between all the conference games. And I, I know there's a couple conferences that do it, but I think those conferences, they make so much more money. Things are a lot more lean to me in the Pac-12. So if you have a couple of major media market teams, they should probably get a little bit more. So that, that would be That's my That's just your selfish, your selfish attitude about everything, Ryan. Yes. Um, but that's the thing. If, if times are lean in the Pac-12, you actually need to prop up the other schools more. I mean, you need, like, because Oregon State's budget is nowhere near what USC's or UCLA's is. So you actually, that's an argument for sustaining it if you want to keep anything close to a conference model. Because if you end up doing the thing that, say, the Big 12 does, where just push everything to Texas and, you know, hope that lifts all boats, you're going to be in this really, really unsustainable position not too long thereafter. So, yeah, I mean, in the short term, yeah, it makes sense. They're bringing in the money, so why shouldn't they make more of it? But it's, I mean, the rest of the conference does have value for USC, too. Um, and I think there's there's definitely a huge element here where they do have to prop up. Um, and, you know, UCLA to an extent and Washington to an extent. The upper-tier schools have to prop up the lower-tier ones or else the whole thing comes crashing down pretty quickly. If we made everything based off of what you actually bring in, um, you know, with some sort of baseline amount that you get, but then everything else is on a sliding scale, it it disproportionately affects the schools with the lower budgets. Um, 
because they'll be getting significantly less because largely those are the schools that are not performing as well and that don't get the television revenue as much or don't get as many people watching their games. Yeah, no, I'm not saying that like USC and UCLA should make um, instead of 30 million, they get 50 and then Oregon State gets 10. Like, I'm not saying something like that, but to have it completely equal to me is silly. It doesn't really make any sense. Um, If it was like everyone's getting 45, it's like everyone's getting 45. That's great. Um, but when you have such a huge, you know, uh, burden of carrying the torch for the television audience, I think you should be able to get more of the benefits. I don't want this to, to go into some, you know, political <laughs> discussion, but it seems like that's what's going on here, right? Like, I'm going to go read an Anne Rand novel and come back to you. And there we go. Some- there we go. Talk about some architecture and some great things. Um, we want socialism. What do we want here? What What are we talking about? Well, so, and I would also be interested to see. So, this graph has the top five. What I'm interested to see is actually the next five to see how much the drop off is, right? Because we yeah. see that the US, USC UCLA game was the top one at four million. Then it went three point seven, three point two, three point one, and then two point nine in the top five. If the next like ten all cluster in like the two point five range, then it's probably not that. It's probably not as huge a disparity as it looks. You know what I'm saying? So right. it'll be interesting. I think it would be interesting to get those numbers. But if it drops off precipitously, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's an argument. It's just a question of how you would actually go about setting the percentages because you have to provide everyone a baseline. Like there has to be a baseline that fits in some capacity a budgetary need. And then it's a question of what is the surplus and how do you divide that based off of what teams are involved. Because so like the USC UCLA game for example that's four million so say that generates a little bit of extra money that doesn't get thrown into the pool of money for all the Pac-12 teams does it get divided evenly between USC and UCLA or are we like assessing you know what level of that group was probably UCLA people watching and what level of it was USC fans you know what I'm saying it'd be yeah. kind of difficult to do that well I think the the way you have to look at it it's not I don't think you want to go through individual games, but why did you get the television contract you got? Like, if you removed USC and UCLA, what kind of contract would the Pac-12 have gotten versus if you removed Oregon, Oregon State? Or, you know, what 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 would have changed? Like, it probably would have changed that much if, if Oregon State wasn't in the, the mix anymore. I, I don't want to be pick on the Beavers here, but <laughs> that's the reality of it is, like, if you said, okay, USC and UCLA are no longer in the conference – your contract would go way, 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 way down. If you removed like the Oregon schools uh, or even the Washington schools, it wouldn't have as big of an impact, even though you have a big name with an Oregon and a Washington because you're paired with not another big name, you know? So I think that's what, if, if you, you know, if you want to say, well, they should be getting the same as everyone else, well, take them away and see what your contract would be. That, that would be the argument there. Yeah, I guess the question then is, but if you took away everybody else, there isn't a, like if you took away Oregon State, no, not a huge deal. If you took away Oregon State and Washington State, still not a huge deal, but suddenly you're getting into, okay, is the conference going to be viable in five years? Because you need a certain number of teams. Um, And I think the lower budget schools, which are, I think, in some order, what, Oregon State, Washington State, Arizona, um, whatever you want to call them, they allow for the viability of the conference. And so you need to prop them up in some capacity. I just don't know. 
once you get into the argument about who should be getting more and why and all that kind of stuff, I think it just becomes kind of a, a difficult calculation, especially with, you know, a school like Cal um, going massively over budget and super bankrupt. I mean, any kind of cut at this point is going to literally be felt with cutting sports. Um, and I think that, that has to all be factored in um, because, you know, you, USC and UCLA, they want to make decisions for the the long-term viability of the league and the sport and, you know, their programs. And I think that part of that is propping up the rest of the Pac-12. All right. So Dave says all the schools should get in line for their government cheese and just move exactly, on. Exactly. Exactly. Decommoditize all of it. <laughs> Everyone's the same. Everyone is the same. For everybody. Participation trophy for everyone. Cheese and crackers all around. Nice. Okay. Well, so there was that a little bit. Um, I guess we should jump into some. Let's some do it. Where did right? we Where did we leave off? That's a very good question. Too. Oh yes. Um, okay. So I've got one text message where we left off. Yes. Okay. So here's. Um, Somebody texted us soon after our show last week because I pretentiously, as I often do, said the word, and I'm going to pronounce it the way I pronounce it again, Nadir, um, which we talked about. Um, and the this, this texter said, Ryan, can you please ask Dave in advance of the show for a list of the words he's going to pretentiously mispronounce for the week? <laughs> Somebody's got to look this shit up for him. It's the... And he says, Nader, 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 like Ralph Nader of good manners to let him continue on like this. Now, as you know, I will often respond to text messages that I consider slightly rude. So I actually looked this up because I'm like, well, no, that doesn't sound right to me. And I looked it up. So Nadir, for everyone out there, is from an Arabic root word, Nazir. Um, And the British adapted it. Um, they pronounce it Nadir. We pronounce it Nader. I did an informal poll of some people I know, and I actually had somebody say Nader. Think about that. Think about Nader? where your mind has to be to pronounce N-A-D-I-R, Nader. Hmm. It's a lot going on there. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so that led me down a nice little uh, pronunciation research path. Um, and then he said, and don't let him get away with the quote, I've only read it in a book excuse. I doubt Dave even read the syllabi in college books were reserved for the B students. And that was such a f like perfectly sick and accurate burn that I don't even have a response. Um, and then I had told him, well, it's actually the British pronunciation, yada, yada, yada. And he responded, and this is also a very sick and good burn to which I had no response. Uh, then somebody tell Dev to get his boot, pitch, lift, lorry, and kit-loving butt back to merry old England where he belongs. Wow. It was a great saga. This is awesome. We, we should do a World Cup show and uh, just we should gibberish <laughs> we nonsense. Should, we should stuff. do a live show in the middle of the World Cup. It'll be great. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, like, those aren't words I use uh, often, but that when I had heard it before, I think it was Nader is what I had heard, so... But I, I will, you know, uh, uh, whatever Dave says, I would just, you know, I will default to what Dave's that is, are, that, is, that is That is such a tremendously bad idea. That is such a bad idea. 
but I'm not going to pretentiously pretend to know them either. So that, you know, I'll let Dave do that as well. Yeah. I think I should handle it all. <laughs> nice. Okay. So that was a text we just got. So then we have uh, a Coog in the booties. You want me to read that one? Please. That's, uh, I don't, well, it's a very strange name. It says questions and a suggestion. Uh, Hey guys, found you guys last year. Love your show. So we're questioning his, uh, no, we, we appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> Couple of uh, got a couple of things for you. First off, why is it that Washington State soundbite is of a lame pussycat? Um, real quickly, so we didn't make that all of the stuff. One of our our listeners very early on produced it all, sent it to us, and we just used it. So, if you would like to produce um, a better sounding cat and somehow edit it so we don't have to do much work, then we would probably change it out. But at this point, it's just it's just the way it is. Yeah, yeah, but I I think it's really funny. Um, But I I think general insults for, like, a lot of things are really funny. So, yeah, yeah, if you want to change it, feel free. Um, Do we have another cat sound anywhere in the thing? Yeah, we got the wildcat. Yeah, and is that – that's kind of a better cat sound. So, if yeah, if if any Washington State fans are at all, you know, they want something different, just find it. Just find it and send it to us, and we'll be happy to play it. Literally, someone produced all of that. Sent it. To, I had to cut it up into individual things. That was about all the work I did. So, um, yeah. But it was yeah. It was awesome. And I can't. I, I'd have to go back and remember his name. But he was he was awesome. He sent it all to us. So he said, "I laugh every time, but it does irritate me." So it's not an insult. It wasn't intended as that. It's just this is what we got, and it was really well done. So we use it all the time. Well, we don't know if it was an intended insult or not. It could have very well been a Washington fan who was doing that. That's true. Yeah. So, so that was in the early days of the podcast. So I think the only people listening were like our parents. So <laughs> I don't think either one of our parents did that. Yeah, I don't think my dad was. There was a lot of USC UCLA fans early, and I think we've definitely expanded um, more. Right. But my rant there earlier will probably alienate most of them. Well, I alienated the other half when I um, talked about collectivization in a uh, in a question about TV revenue. Was that the question? It might have been, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're going to go work on a farm collective. It's going to be great. Nice. I'll enjoy it. All right. So he goes on. Suggestion. You guys should have a strong, should have strong soundbite for when a team wins and a lame one for when they lose. For example, the Huskies, you could have an ankle biter yapping, a ankle biter yapping away and then getting kicked. <laughs> or the ducks getting shot out of the air. Might be hard for you guys to do that since you already messed up the ones you have. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right that, but that would also take work that would um, take work and i think we've actually gotten that suggestion before we have okay i think we have and we i think we had the same response then oh yeah that sounds great not gonna do it but it sounds great it sounds really fun we would 100 percent never remember to play the right sound 100 percent of the time it would be very hard to do we would uh, never remember there's a lot of sounds on the board already, you know, and so this would this would add to it. Um, he said, last question, if all the Pac-12 head coaches, head coach positions were open and you could pick the coach for that school, who would that be? Money's not an issue. Any school could get any coach. I'm looking more for the fit of the coach to the school, not just the best coach. So Washington would get a douchebag head coach. <laughs> Thanks, Coog and the Boonies. Um you don't have to say Coog in the boonies. That's just the, you know, that's... No. Yeah, that's redundant. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that. I'm like, no, I shouldn't say that. Sorry. But you were going to anyway, so I just did it for I you. I was going to. Yeah, so. fill in the silence. It's great. 
Um, I'm trying That's to. Un- I'm, yeah, I'm trying to understand the question. So, yeah, I mean, if we were a lot smarter and a lot better off the top of our heads, we could find the archetypal coach for every single, like, you know, stereotype about a particular school. Like Stanford would have, I don't know, who's a really pretentious kind of. I mean, Jim Harbaugh would come back to Stanford or something, you know. Yeah, but he's like kind of an intense psychopath. Does he fit Stanford? Oh yeah, so I guess if you're looking at, yeah, um, that would that would be very. Like, then you're talking about yeah, that that would be pretty difficult to do. Yeah, uh, I think this was just a way. It was a vehicle for him to throw an insult at Washington, and I respect that. I respect yeah. that a hundred percent. But okay. like, if if you're picking a coach to be like, if you're Oregon State and you're like, we're gonna pick the head coach, and it's not like Nick Saban or Urban Meyer, then it's like, well. Would you rather have like the best coach or like this guy fits better? Uh, I I don't know. I mean, I would rather just go get Nick Saban or Urban Meyer or something for everybody, or yeah. Jim, you know, not Jim, uh, Dabo Sweeney or something, you know. Well, and I think like after a while, it's it's sort of like um, like a married couple starts to look alike, or dog owners start to look like their dog. I, like Mike Leach, I think about him, and I'm like, yeah, Washington State, that's a hundred percent a fit, right? Or yeah. Ky- Kyle Whittingham in Utah, I'm like, nobody more Utah than, than Kyle Whittingham. Right. David Shaw in Stanford, well, yeah, I was trying to think of a pretentious head coach. <laughs> there we go, he's right there! <laughs> um, I, all of these guys, I, I think you, you, you eventually just start to say, oh, that's what that school is, you know, it's that guy. Like, Rich Rod started to wear, like, cowboy hats and do, like, weird Western videos when he was at Arizona. I mean, do you remember that? Did you yeah. ever see that video? It was full crazy. Um, Todd Graham and ASU, that was like, oh, yeah, that's the quintessential ASU guy. Like, all of that felt of a piece. So the only one who ever didn't feel in place, well, not the only one, but a couple of them, I would say uh, Sonny Dykes never felt like Cal to me. Um, And Jim Mora, I think, always kind of carried his Washington roots with him. So I don't know that that ever really felt like UCLA to me. Um, probably because he also won a lot of games his first three years. So that didn't feel very UCLA-like to me. Um, but I think, by and large, I mean, it's just you... I think a lot of these guys mold and are molded by the jobs they have. I think Gary Anderson always felt weird, like, just how he got to Oregon State. There was some stuff like... Like, Mike Riley fit well there to me, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, there's a lot of great fits, but you're like, okay... David Shaw's done all these great things. He just seems like he's the Stanford guy. He's perfect. Um, but if Nick Saban said, hey, Stanford, I want to coach my last five years there, like, would you get rid of David Shaw if you could get Nick Saban? You know, like, just because he's a great fit for it. Like, if you have an opportunity to get Nick Saban, would you want to get Nick Saban? Yeah, that'd be interesting. I don't think Stanford would, but an average Stanford fan? Yeah, probably, right? Yeah. Yeah, like I think Chip, Chip Kelly was like a great fit at Oregon. We'll see how he does at UCLA. I think he's going to do really good things. But if like Urban Meyer was like, yeah, I just want to come to the West Coast. Uh, Dan Guerrero, can, uh, can I come coach at UCLA? I think, like, th- I think they would fire yeah. Chip Kelly for that. Really? <laughs> for, like, for, like a, for like a, you know, if Urban wanted to come for a dollar and was willing to pay Chip's buyout for him. Yeah, I think they yeah, like do that. Money wasn't, like, so the question was like money not being an option, you know, like. Well, I think if you're doing like a hierarchy of like coaching, like Urban's probably like a 
because it probably because Urban's done it at two at th- four places now. He's done it at Bowling Green. He did it at Utah. He did it at Florida, and then he did it at Ohio State. So if there is a proven commodity in sports in college football, I would say he's even a cut above Saban because he's done it in more places. Whereas yeah. Saban has done it at LSU and he's done it at Alabama. That's two places, and he's done it at a super elite level at Alabama. But Alabama is kind of a unique place. Um, I would feel if you if you threw one of those guys into like random job X, I would feel probably more confident in Urban Meyer pulling it off. Yeah. Um, like if if both of them got uh, in you know parallel universes, both got the Iowa job tomorrow, um, I would have Urban turning that around a lot quicker. Um, and it's because like UCLA hired like the biggest name out there, you know. Yeah, uh, and I, I think Chips, I think Chips really good but he's done it once you know and it's just from a proven commodity standpoint um that could be you know i don't think it will be but it could be you know flash in the pan that happened once but it's not necessarily indicative of future results but you have a guy like urban meyer yeah if that was available i think everybody in the country would take him i think alabama would take him because he's also got you know what a good 15 to 20 years left whereas saban's already uh, pushing seventy. Wow, I, that would be a tough one. Like, like I know you get attached to coaches, but someone like Saban, like I don't know if you'd want to replace them just based on this run's going to go longer, you know. But yeah, probably what? Like, I mean, that's amazing to think about. But yeah, you might want to just say, I'd rather take Urban Meyer right now, and if we could just get him and swap him out for Saban, uh, you know, it's like getting rid of Joe Montana, you know, while you're on top. Um, yeah. You know. yeah, I think that the, it'd be the question of like if it's a one-time deal. Like this is the only time we we could ever do this, and we're not assured that we could get Urban Meyer in three years when Saban actually retires or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I think you would do it because then you get fifteen years out of Urban Meyer, which brings you more value than the next three years of Nick Saban, right? Yep. Yeah. That's well, that was All right. fun. You want to do marks? Yeah. Uh, time travel question for Pac-12 athletics. Hi guys. This is Mark and Torrance, a UCLA alum. Thanks for doing the fantastic podcast. I enjoy the great Pac-12 insights as well as the non-sequiturs about soccer and more. It makes my awful LA commute much less awful. My question, if each Pac-12 athletic program could go back in time and change one thing in its history, what would it be? Hiring a different coach at a pivotal time, e.g. Chris Peterson at USC instead of Steve Sevenwin Sarkeesian, Building an on-campus stadium, M UCLA. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Ooh, I think this is one we got to ask all the experts too. Yeah, I think he nailed UCLA's. He might have nailed USC's too. Yeah. Uh, okay, you know, Mark. Back, good, good, good answers. <laughs> yeah, I, you, you might for USC. You might want to pick something with how you handled the sanctions, like just to you know. Uh, comply early and, and work with the NCAA so you don't get hammered as much. Um, something like that. But any, I think coaching hires are always big, you know, anything like that. Like not hiring Sark would have been a, been a bit a good thing. Um, not hiring Lane Kiffin probably, you know. Uh, lot, I think lots of, there's lots of things like that. But that, that I think would be good to get input from the other Pac-12 publishers on, on those. Yeah, I think UCLA has a couple options. Um, I think the on-campus stadium would be my answer because it would have the biggest overall effect for the longest period of time. 
but you could also make an argument for you know uh the lead up to that 98 uh, somehow redirecting a hurricane um at the beginning of the 1988 1998 season so that um they can play the Miami game in September instead of December yeah. um maybe um not hiring Carl Durrell as uh as the head coach in 2003 with Dan Guerrero's first hire um i think another option would have been Mike Riley and that was Mike Riley in his prime. And that might have changed the trajectory of the program in a real way. Um, but I think my answer would be the on-campus stadium. I think Mark nailed it. That would have the biggest, I think, effect on UCLA. Um, to whatever extent, um, obviously not a huge one, but having to go 25 miles off campus is, I think, a slight recruiting disadvantage um, at the Rose Bowl. Even though it is the Rose Bowl. Um, and then also it's a disadvantage in terms of fan support, student excitement, all that kind of stuff. And you can't quantify exactly what kind of dividends that would have played if they just built a nice 60,000 seater right in the middle of campus. So that would probably be my answer. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, that would change the course of UCLA athletics. So it's hard. It would be hard to beat that one. I would think. Yeah. Well, cool. Uh, Good question. I right, got one from Stephen Salt Lake. You want me to do this? Please. Do you want to do hey, it? Guys, I'm going to say that nothing has better encapsulated this podcast during the offseason than the last two minutes of last week's show. Ryan, have we ever talked about football in the last... Oh, I'm sorry. Have we even talked about football in the last 30 minutes? Dave, no. Ryan, have you ever seen Bob's Burgers? <laughs> <laughs> Still really good, man. Bob's Burgers is so good. Uh, as a Utah fan, I've learned a lot about the Pac-12 over the last eight years. That said, there are still some questions I have that hopefully lifelong conference aficionados, such as yourselves, can shed some light on. Okay, so one, I'm, I'm anticipating this is going to be funny. Uh, who is the biggest rival for Oregon and Washington? Is it Oregon State, Washington State, or each other? What e do you think about that, Dave? Each other. Like yeah. one, 100% each other. Each other 100%. Now, you couldn't, it wouldn't say the same thing if you asked Oregon State or Washington State. No, but. no, no, no. But I think Oregon and Washington just have, they've been kind of in the pole position um, up there and they've just developed such a long and good rivalry. Um, yeah. I think for Washington, probably the Apple Cup is a close 1B, whereas for Oregon, I think it's clearly Washington and then Oregon State, then the Civil War number two. Would that be your read on it? I think so, especially, you know, kind of recently because Oregon's sort of changed their, uh, you know, their fortunes. But in the early 2000s, I mean, Oregon State was was beating their butt, right? So, um, you know, we've seen – and I think even then, like, Washington State had some some good years then yeah. too. But, uh, yeah, I think overall it would still be the Washingtons and the Oregons uh, going at it. Yeah, exactly. Two, is Pullman really a shithole? <laughs> I don't think it's, I've always liked Pullman, but you know, what do you think, Dave? Uh, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a, I'm a, you can call me a, a, I don't know. You can call me a dick. Um, I think Pullman, Tucson and Corvallis are kind of dumpy to me. Um, I think Eugene has its charms. I would say the worst one in the Pac-12 is probably Corvallis. I really, really do not like Corvallis. Um, 
Pullman is probably above Tucson for me, but it probably goes Corvallis at the bottom, Tucson at number 11, and then uh, Pullman at number 10 for me. Yeah, I'm not... There's certain things that I that I dislike. Like, I hated going to the queue to cover the Holiday Bowl. I just thought that place was a shithole. Um, but, you know, I when I travel, I try to find, like, some of the good and stuff. Like, yeah, it's not, you know, th- some things aren't the greatest. But there's some cool stuff in all those places, you know. Um, but it's hard to compare something, you know, Corvallis to Portland or whatever. Like, you'd rather be in Portland. but. Well, I'm, I'm basing it off of, like, a relative assessment. Yeah, I mean, if we're talking just generally, yeah, every place is good. You're alive, it's good, you know, there's things to do, there's people to see, there's things to, you know, all kinds of stuff. But if we're talking relative scale compared to the rest of the Pac-12, which is... Yeah. Know, I mean, I, I, I would put it solidly at number 10. Okay. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean... Dave's kind of on more on the Pullman the shithole thing. Uh, you know, they've done some really nice renovations to the stadium. Like, definitely go check it out if you haven't gone up there. And I, I definitely have to get to Utah. That's the only stadium I haven't been to yet. I'm not going to marry you to a ranking, but do you disagree with number 10 there? Um, no, I don't, I don't think I would disagree if you're ranking. Um, I I think it makes sense to me, but I, I wouldn't say, oh, yeah, Pullman's a shithole. Like, no, I wouldn't go up. that's not that's yeah. not nice, even though I well, said that was it a question, the, so. even though I said it at the beginning. <laughs> even though I agreed, yes, it is. Um, cool. So we have three. Was Tom Hansen really more hated than Larry Scott? This isn't a question of who's underperformed more, but rather who has drawn more ire and resentment from the Pac-12 slash Pac-10 fan base during their tenure. Uh, real quick, I would say just it's a different age. Um, the information age now, I think you can you can hear about it a lot more with Larry Scott. I think Tom Hansen was just kind of like off doing his thing, but you know, never really doing great stuff for the conference. But if you know, we had Twitter and everything back then, maybe they would hate him more. But I, I would say Larry Scott, there's a lot more outcry, more hate, public hatred than than Tom Hansen. But I think a lot of that just reflects the the time we're in. Yeah, and I yeah, there's just more awareness, and also. Um... It's the time we're in, but also there's just a, yeah, I mean, it's the time we're in. There's more information out there. There's just more reporting on it. Um, And I think if you probably polled people 20 years ago, they wouldn't have been able to tell you, you know, by and large, who the Pac-12 commissioner is. And I would say that percentage has probably increased quite a bit. There's a lot more awareness of, like, who even that guy is. Um, And I think for Larry Scott's case, that isn't necessarily a good thing. No. Uh, let's see. And why is it, uh, why is it that in every national commercial involving mascots, the PAC 12 representative is always puddles the duck. Why is he the de facto conference mascot? Is it all that Nike money? Um, my guess would be, it's just, you kind of have to have unique stuff and that's pretty unique. Um, and it works well, like certain things don't well, like a Trojan doesn't really work all that well in those kind of mascots, but like animals and stuff do and there's lots of bulldogs and wildcats and things like that but there's not a lot of ducks so um i would think you might see some beavers in there too i don't know it seems like some of the pac-12 mascots get represented but you do see puddles of duck a lot you were not you're not ever going to get stanford's tree because you know they're usually banned from whatever um (laughs) the trojan is just kind of weird because it's a dude in a you know 
in armor holding a sword and i just it doesn't quite fit the the oh. aesthetic a lot of times no, um, that was new like they they added that for like basketball there was never like a traditional mascot like you would see you know bears little you know dressed up bears running around cal games or ucla games from you know decades right. and decades ago you never saw anything like that from usc they added that for basketball like when the last i don't know 10 12 years or something right so all of that um so I think the Oregon thing is primarily it's a you know it's a cool looking mascot that whole deal, but also Oregon's been uh, as we saw earlier the second best program in the Pac-12 for the last twenty five years. Um, they've won, I, and I'm counting USC's vacated wins. If you don't count USC's vacated wins, they've been the best. Um, so they they probably it's the highest profile in terms of that in terms of that national thought about um a pac-12 school and they also have a decent looking mascot so it makes sense yeah five he says usually a rivalry game uh and always moves the needle for both teams involved regardless of how bad one of those teams may be that said from the perspective of ucla and usc fans how big is the rivalry with cal in other words since jeff tedford's departure has this rivalry game ever uh moved the preseason needle more than any of the other games against North Division teams not named Oregon State. So for UCLA, so I never really even thought of this as a rivalry in any real way. Um, and that's not because the games weren't competitive. They actually have been and very competitive at times. I think it more depends on whether or not, like on an individual level, you had a bunch of friends go to Cal or a bunch of friends go to UCLA if you're a Cal fan. Um, and I just didn't. And so I, it never really struck me that way. And I don't think it's one of those theme things that like the team sees a certain way. Like they, UCLA, the team obviously gets up for the USC game pretty often. Um, but for the Cal game, I kind of think they see it as just another game to whatever, whatever extent. Um, so I don't see it as much of a rivalry and I don't know if Cal would say any different. I doubt they would. Yeah, um, I think same thing with USC. I think the Stanford game's been more of a rivalry recently since they've both been like, you know, going to the Pac-12 title games and stuff, playing each other. And I think that's just been more competitively a rival. And and Cal hasn't beat USC in like 13 years or so. I don't know what it is. Something like that. Like a lot. Um, it for for USC fans usually even when it's good, it's like the and I think UCLA fans probably too. It's like a weekender game. So whenever you play Cal or Stanford on the road, you go up to San Francisco for the weekend and go party. So that's, that's what it's been more about than anything. than this some kind of like, Oh man, can't wait to, to, to play Cal. Those guys, we're going to get yeah. them this year. Like it's never really like that. Yeah. It's more of a communal thing. Yeah, for sure. I think that's right. Uh, okay. Then we got, uh, okay. Number six is the last one. Who's more late arriving, the average Pac-12 fan base after kickoff or Dave after the original uh, stated time to begin recording this podcast? Ryan was 17 minutes late today to this podcast. All right, people? All right? (laughs) Now, most of the time, am I between 10 and 15 minutes late? Yeah, all right? But this time it wasn't me. And I want I just you all to know the, that Dave, the full, you know, when you're running the, the the podcast, like the full on experience, you know, like not showing up on time, uh-huh. mm-hmm. uh, those things. Well, you did say 1230 or 1240. And I think, so I was like 1247. So sure, sure. That right. sounds, 
vaguely accurate. But I, I told it. Yeah, I'm, I do apologize. Cause I was like, I had to be at USC early for a workout and I just got in late last night. So it was just kind of like, don't you ever, just, don't you ever, but apologize. I'm not going to complain. Dave, uh, being so I can go home and take a nap after this and Dave can edit the show and put it up. I'm very excited. I'm sure the description of the show will be much more colorful than it normally is. So look forward to all of that. It will uh, be so half-assed. You will have, you will be amazed. <laughs> well, sometimes you could look at it and be like, man, he didn't really try all that hard, but after a while, you're just like, it's hard to like name the show every time mm-hmm. and, and come up with descriptions and stuff. Especially, especially this. we're basically answering questions every day. Yeah. Especially um, this garbage. He says, Utah has a reputation as a loud and, and proud fan base, but there seems to be a healthy percentage of us, myself included, that aren't in our seats at kickoff. I've heard similar commentary about all four California schools and both Arizona schools. Is there any school in the conference that regularly has uh, at least 80% of the fans in the stands prior to kickoff or all Pac-12 schools like this? Thanks for the tolerable podcast, Stephen Salt Lake. I would say it's not just all Pac-12 schools. I think everybody's like this. I don't think I've ever seen a stadium more than 80% full prior to kickoff. Like, right before kickoff, I, I always see fans filing in for basically the entirety of the first quarter, pretty much no matter where I go. I think people just party in the parking lot, and it's fine. It's great. Yeah. I mean, whatever. I think I mean, going LA, to a like fo- that for sure. I yeah. think the West Coast in general, it's just not the show. You know, I think some places like Oregon, you know, there's smaller stadiums. They sell out all the time that maybe you're going to see something cool like that. But for the most part, you know, even out of Washington, like, you know, great fans, but they're still partying on the river or, you know, or whatever, uh, you know, on the, on the water before going into the stadium. So it's, it's not like everyone's in there two hours ahead of time. Like you're, it's like Cameron crazy's going to a Duke basketball game. You just, you don't really get that on the West coast in my opinion. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, I, I but I'm like, yeah, I just don't know if that's necessarily a, uh, for football, I mean, for basketball, it's a different deal. But for football, I just don't know that I've seen it a whole bunch. Maybe in the big SEC schools, but I don't know. Yeah. Um, we also got a text. Uh, fellas, you guys need to have your own hashtag, especially for your followers. My suggestion is at POC crew. Thanks, Alex and, pa- Alex and Pasadena. We, did, we do need to come up with some of those, huh? Yeah, I don't know about POC crew. Because that would be like, you know, it's the CC back-to-back. Wouldn't it be like POC Rue? Wouldn't that be better? So it would just kind of like, it's like, yeah. You know, make that, se- make that C that? more efficient. Make it more, make it more do, do more work. Yeah, yeah. I like that. It's a, it's a capital C for POC, but it's also part of the crew. I don't think it's our final, our final option. I think somebody else needs to come up with a better one and let us know. But yeah. I like it as a first effort. I like it. Strong work. All right. You ready for Hitler Day? Sure. Dinosaur Diggs. Ryan left out the USC scandal most salient to his listeners last week. The time the Trojans lured to campus a sweet young man of modest literacy and numeracy on the promise of becoming an engineer of all things, when really they just liked the way he looked in volleyball shorts. Why have we not learned more about this exploitation? I demand stories of your time on the team. The team? Um, well, I was not on the USC volleyball team. Like when I was a freshman, they won the national championship. I was, I was a East coast volleyball player playing on the West coast. So I was on the club team, 
which is like the JV team, which was still, we had some really good players, but like I was nowhere near that level of, of player hit the day. I'm sorry, but That's unfortunate. I tried out, I tried out, but no way did I make it. He referred to you as a sweet young man of modest literacy and numeracy. <laughs> my numeracy was actually pretty good, but my literacy, yes. <laughs> um, okay. I, didn't, the- I hated it. Like I didn't want to read. I hated uh, English class. I was all in the AP, like physics and calculus. I think it and makes I, a lot of sense why you got into journalism then. Exactly. But then when <laughs> I like graduated and I didn't have to like read a book and then have someone tell me that when that guy boiled water, it meant that slavery was bad. You know, like I hated that <laughs> stuff. But then I would go read like Grapes of Wrath on my own and like, oh, this is really good. And then I would like email my buddy who was in like grad school for, uh, for English and I'd have him talk to me about the book. I'm like, oh, this, I like this a lot better just doing it on my own. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So well, especially a, cool a lot of that, back. a lot of that literature stuff, listening to somebody else's interpretation of what it all means. Get out of here with that. I hated that's that. Garbage. And that's all I, I feel like that's all I got in high school. So I just, it turned me off. Yeah. I love history. I love like, I like to read, you know, but I just never was into it in school. So I'd probably be better at throwing words around in junk if I cared about it then, than more than I do later. Whatever. It's overrated. All right. Second paragraph. Uh, Oregon has gotten commitments from four modern day recruits, Cridell, Dollars, Funa, and Ware Hudson, as well as two from Valencia, Wilson and Wright. My understanding is that these are typically USC feeder schools, and predictably those covering Oregon recruiting have filed the expected stories speculating about a new pipeline from California. I've always figured that recruiting is more mercenary than sentimental, and a kid saying he wants to play with his friends is so much dumb show for the groundlings. What do you boys think about the notion of movements, quote, from high school X to college Y in general and in this specific case? Just statistical noise or something real? I mean, I think there are definitely feeder schools. Yeah. I mean, Sarah is for sure a feeder school to USC. If he's talking about a sudden move where, like, suddenly four guys from a high school go to a particular place um, outside of their usual realm of places they go, like four modern-day guys going to Oregon, I would say that's more coincidental than necessarily a big switch from the historical pattern. Yeah, and I would say it's June, too. (laughs) Right. What are the odds that all four of those guys sign with Oregon in February or, or, or January or whatever? Like, uh, you know, pretty good. And I think it's all situational too. A guy like Mace Funa, uh, you know, what he blow out his knee. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some schools that'll like kind of back off after that, but he gets better and they come back. And, you know, so I think there's, it's all situational, but you also, it just, it means so little, uh, right now. I mean, uh, any kind of offer means absolutely nothing. Uh, verbal commitments mean much less than they used to. So maybe they'll, all those four guys sign. And I think if you get a, it, it would have to be more than a bunch of verbals in the summer. It would have to be uh, a group signs, like a whole group signs. And then the next year, another group signs. And then you're like, oh, okay, there, there's something going here. But having like four verbal commitments in June is, does not a pipeline make. Yeah, I think that's all fair. I think that's all fair. This was a this was a solid question from Hithler Day, though. I think yeah. this was a solid return to form. He's um, trying to get back. You yeah, know, he used to be good. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So this is from. Oh, this is you. You read this one. Oh, which one? So this is. Oh, uh, the Daily Bruin one. Yeah, from Thomas. 
Hi, Ryan and Dave. Just wanted to say hi. I'm sorry. Just want to say hi. <laughs> what if that was it? Just wanted to say hi. See you later. Yeah. Uh, that was good to move on. Just want to say hi. Uh, that you're both right, kind of. Okay. So I, I have to remember I what don't remember about. what I said. <laughs> oh, the, so we were talking about Thomas, that I thought that he might have worked at the Daily Bruin. Oh, uh, yes, vaguely. Right. I remember having this so, conversation. I was like, you know, it sounded like he might have worked there, but then I reread it and I didn't think he did. He said, I did indeed work and at and write for the Daily Bruin during part of the time I was at UCLA, right around the time, in fact, that Dave must have been entering puberty. Okay, so he's mm. uh, older than you. As a result, my entire adult existence has paralleled UCLA's steep decline from contender to pretender in both football and basketball under the careful stewardship of Dan Guerrero. He is the athletic director at UCLA if you're not uh, playing along at home. Ryan, however, will be happy to know I also attended graduate school at USC during the Reggie Bush years and thus know what a national championship program actually looks like. Namely, it's the team who can not only move the chains on fourth down, but can also, uh, but also can execute the run option and score. Keep up the mellifluous work on the podcast, whatever it was. Uh, Tom at MRTPSM. Beautiful. That was beautiful. Um, what he was saying was the sweet, the musical work on the podcast. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Thanks. Thanks for that one, Thomas. Yeah, it was gorgeous. He's, he's a fellow Daily Bruin alum like yourself. Indeed, indeed. So when I was in puberty, so this would be '98. So yeah, that is kind of a, that is a steep decline. Um, all right, this is from our man Sean. Scheduling question: Sean from Ohio. Questions, guys, from Ohio. Wow, cool. We have an Ohioan. Yeah, I love international questions. That's great. <laughs> No, so I was actually born in Ohio, so I'm not, you know, like my birthplace is Lima, Ohio. Ooh. They didn't live there very long. We moved to Pennsylvania, like, when I was three months is old. It L- I actually, I, is it L-I-M-A pronounced Lima? I believe so, yes. That is, that is, that is quintessential Ohio. I love that. All right. I think, like, Glee or something was in that, like, that's with the, I don't know if it was supposed to be a f- fictitious town, but I think that's where they were. They were, like, in Lima, Ohio or something. That's beautiful. beautiful. You ever watched that? Yeah. Yeah. Trivia. That's great. All right, questions, guys. Do you think it is possible for the Pac-12 schools to squ- schedule their way into being a more successful and respected conference? Per Dennis Dodd's comments about being excluded from the power group, the schools obviously lack some recognition for their recent me- mediocrity. Would a tougher schedule that would result in more losses, but an acknowledgement that they are trying to be the uh, trying to be the answer or a Baylor-type scheduling formula of more wins against crappy teams be the answer? Any ideas for how they could accomplish the tougher schedule? I don't think they should schedule tougher. They should schedule easier, significantly so, um, and start doing things more like the SEC in terms of scheduling. But no, I don't think more tougher games is the answer because I think the the biggest issue is they're being shut out of the playoff through kind of self-inflicted injuries. It's not necessarily the perception of the conference. It's the fact that they're ending up with, you know, a loss or two that they don't need to because of the nine-game conference schedule. Um, And the control they have over scheduling is whether or not they schedule tougher teams in the non-conference. And I don't think think there's a Pac-12 school that should be scheduling tougher in the non-conference right now. Yeah, I would agree with you there. And I think if you just look at how the SEC games the system – 
Um, if you wanted the Pac-12 to do something similar, I think the nine-game schedule really hurts um, as far as that goes because you can look at uh, who in the Pac-12 won just two conference games last year. Um, I don't recall off the top of my head. Cal? Uh, I mean, that's who it was. A Cal? Cal went two and seven, I think. Two and seven in conference. Okay, so you're not going to make a bowl there. You can be six and six in the SEC by going two and six in conference and four and zero against cream puffs in the non-conference, and you you're in a bowl. And then it's like, oh, they another bowl team and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I think so you can't really get anything close to that in the Pac-12. But the problem is, and you want to talk about disparity. Like I think if you're Oregon State, if you're going to go to Ohio State, like probably don't do that. You know, I mean, there's not really a big chance of a good chance of winning that game. Now you're Washington. I still want you to play Auburn, right? Like, cause that can help the entire conference. Like Oregon state going on the road and getting just destroyed. doesn't really help. Um, I, I don't know if it hurts, but it doesn't, it doesn't help things. But if Oregon state had an extra win and they played Portland state or something instead and, and actually won the game, um, I think that you get the bottom feeders to not be as bottomy, and then if if Washington beats an Auburn and then, who knows, Stanford beats them later in the year, it looks better for them. Um, the problem is you have the bottom feeders kind of losing those games and even the top schools losing losing games. And when if Washington loses to Auburn, it just sets the whole conference back. So I think you need probably the top teams to schedule a couple of those really good games. You know, Stanford and USC played Notre Dame every year and stuff like that. Like, that's fine. Um, and you, But you got to win those early and then – not be punished by the bottom teams that if they're not playing, you know, not losing to an FCS school or things like that. I think in general you can do it, but I, I agree with Dave's premises. It's probably going to, you would probably lean towards the easier side more than, than the hard side, but you have to do some strategic hard ones with the top schools and hope they win those to really lift all boats in the conference. Yeah. I think that's all fair too. Um, all right. That was from Sean. Let's see. The next one. This is me. Podcast show question. Uh, I guess this is from Danny. Hi, y'all. Danny from L.A. Have a question for the show. He said y'all. I just yeah. came back from a week in Tennessee, so I heard a lot of y'all. Uh, the Pac-12 uh, is he and Larry from Louisiana Scott. or L.A.? Oh, the y'all I, there is weird. Yeah, maybe it is. We'll find out. We'll find I, out I'm, more as we go through. My guess is it's Los Angeles, but who knows. The Pac-12 and Larry Scott just approved a rule requiring six wins to make a bowl appearance for the conference. It seems like a way to make up for the crappy bowl season we just had. I think that's fair. Just uh, interesting to me that their diagnosis to our conference's problems and how bad they, we've looked nationally is something like this while ignoring poorly scheduled Friday games, showing games on a network that no one has, and all the poor financial decisions, i.e. Uh, having headquarters in the Bay Area, bad TV deals, etc. Not to mention that this decision makes absolutely no sense if we're struggling financially. You just potentially limited your bull earnings. What are your thoughts? Please help me understand what I'm missing here. P.S. My vote for what to call your listeners should be, okay, Packers. Uh, Packers, P-O-C-E-R-S. And he put P-A-H, Packers? I think that's what he means. Okay. Uh, Packers, whatever. Ryan, uh, you leaving... Uh, you leaving out of town and letting Dave control the Pac-12 podcast Twitter was the worst and best decision ever. That shade on Browning was Twitter trolling, Twitter trolling at its finest. Keep up the good work. Great stuff. Um, 
I don't think it limits bull earnings all that much. I don't. I think the economics are probably uh, probably in favor of not allowing the five and seven teams, but I don't think economics should be the sole driver here. Um, I think there's some, as we talked about up front. I mean, like there's reasons from competitive to you know letting kids play another game to I don't know making the whole bull structure viable like there's a lot of reasons to do it and i don't know that it's necessarily an economic one yeah i would agree with you there um sometimes you can lose money going to bulls right yeah for sure and i think on those lower level ones that's more of a more the rule than the exception is to lose money but when you think about this like if you're a fan and you're reading a press release like oh this happened the work it takes to get something (laughs) like this to come out Right. Like there were committees. There was like, like who stood on their chair and said, we need to make sure that five and seven bowl teams are not going to be something for the PAC 12. Like somehow that became an issue of the day and went through all kinds of voting and all. I mean, there was a lot of crap that probably had to go into this. And the, the reason behind it, I have no idea. Like it just doesn't seem like this is a problem. So I get the point. Like there's lots of problems in the PAC 12. This was not, one of them. You didn't fix anything that appeared to be broken. Yeah, I think that's right. Okay, we've got a really important question next. Are you ready? Yes. This is from Anthony. Um, podcast question. Hi, Ryan and Dave. Rank the following styles of French fries. <laughs> so we've got waffle fries. Standard cut. You've got a whiteboard, right? Yeah. Okay, are you, are you writing these down? Crap. Okay, I will. All right, waffle fries, standard, curly fries, shoestring, crinkle cut, steak fries, potato wedges, sweet potato fries, garlic fries, chili fries, and poutine fries? I don't know. I'm not a poutine guy. I don't remember exactly what they're... I think I've had it before, but it wasn't a... I think it's when you put a bunch of crap on them, right? Like brown gravy and stuff poutine's like a thing though like it's like my canadian buddies love poutine i think it's a french uh you might get it like louise maybe louisiana kind of thing. i don't remember but i don't remember a lot i'm gonna put that last because i don't really know it's not something that i would like would ever request okay so i'm gonna put like the garbage ones that nobody likes i mean does anybody really like potato wedges it's just a um, lot of potato I mean, to me. It's funny when you read this list. It's like I would eat all of them, pretty much. So, like, I, you yeah, know, I guess I, I'm just saying, like, what what ones would like be like? Eh, I don't care. Potato wedges are on that list for me. Of just, eh. Sta- I'm not a huge sweet potato fry guy. Like, I like them. I will eat them, but it's not like, oh, I want the sweet potato fries. Are you into those? Sweet potatoes, good. They'd be in my like top four ish okay. here, but they wouldn't be number one. I think my number one is like a classic and good curly fry. All right. I don't think I can complain too often about a curly fry. Um, you could talk me into a waffle fry. It's just there's a lot of margin for error. And if it's at all like undercooked, if it's not crisp enough, it can be just kind of not a great experience. Steak fries? I, Where do you stand on steak fries? I would be there like to me, there'd be like tears or whatever. Like it's hard to like distinguish, but I love just standard fries. I love curly fries. I kind of would put steak fries in there. I kind of like them when whatever I'm getting, when I have steak fries with it, usually it's like pretty good hunk of meat. And that's like, I'm in a good mood. Right. 
Um, I would put those. I would like that. I, I love garlic fries and chili fries. So I'd probably put like those as like my five number one group. I would say garlic fries for me, it's good. I think it's the most overrated fry on this really? list. Really? Because some people go gaga over garlic fries, and they're fine. They're they're good, but like it's just a vehicle for you getting some garlic in your mouth. Really? I mean, yeah. it's just a basic fry. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, I think curly fries is my clear cut number one. Like I think okay. that's 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 number one. Um, sweet potato fries is in my first tier. Um, I'd probably throw a shoestring in there too. I like those; those are good. Um, and uh, yeah, it might be it might be a three a three man team for my top tier. Okay. Yeah. Should, yeah, that curly. I just don't like if I go to like Jack the Box or something like. I usually just get the regular fries. I don't usually go out of my way to get the curly fries. Wow. You know? Wow. Yeah. I don't know why. Like That's shocking to me. It's not like I don't like I like them, but it's like I just love regular fries, you know? I See, I'm not a big regular fry guy. Wow. Yeah. Wow. You know what we'll actually have to do sometime? We have to rate the burgers. We'll have to do that in a, in a follow-up show. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, we've had a couple you know, high-profile suicides, and Anthony Bourdain... Well, I'm not like a huge fan, but I, you know, we would watch a show. My wife would like it and stuff. And he had a, they, someone put a funny clip on Twitter about him just expressing how good In-N-Out was. So it's his favorite, his favorite restaurant in LA was In-N-Out. So that's, <laughs> that's, that's pretty funny. Yeah. I kind of think In-N-Out's overrated. <laughs> what? Is that? Actual podcast, man. Come I on. I know. I know. I know. I think it's good. I think like, a, but if I'm eating like a fast food burger in LA, I think I would like take the habit over it. I mean, that's good. It's just different. Um, I'm not a like I like the In-N-Out fries better now, and it's cool that they just take potatoes and and cut them and make fries right there, you know. But like compared to like McDonald's fries, like they they kind of stink, you know. Oh, they're yeah. <laughs> In-N-Out's fries are not the reason you're going to In-N-Out. It's definitely for the burger. Um, those fries are. Ooh, if you've convinced yourself you like those fries, you must really like the burgers and have become a devotee because whew, those those fries are not good. Um, and they're, uh, I haven't had one of their shakes in forever, but their shakes are basically like trying to drink an ice cream. Like you're just, uh, nothing comes out of the straw for the longest time, if I remember correctly. Yeah, they're pretty thick. Yeah. But I like the shakes. It's hard for me to find a bad milkshake. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 good once it gets there. Yeah. All right. Oh, we'll have to do that. Maybe we'll we'll rate some some burgers. Uh, what's the one in Santa Monica? The Office. That's good. Like it's like the, the Office Nazi is place. good. Yeah, it's um, good. And um, what else I like is Five it? Guys, but like if you order like a burger and fries and a, and a drink, it's like thirteen dollars. You know, you're like what? Father's Office. I think that's what we meant. Father's Office. Father's yeah, that's Office, what and that's like a very particular type of burger. It's like that Gruyere cheese thing and it's you know it's good like arugula on it and there's yeah. no ketchup and you can't ask for anything different no just... no modifications whatsoever and it's good yeah. it's just you have to really want that thing um umami burgers good um but that's also like you want to pay 15 bucks for a burger and go yeah. for it um but if we're talking like pure fast food i think the habit still qualifies even though it's probably like 50 cents more than in and out for like a particular thing and that would probably be my top fast food burger in LA. Are you a like Jack in the box? Do you like those at all? Or I mean, I've done it, but no, nah, I mean, it, it, that's, that's like fine. It's like probably a cut above McDonald's from a burger perspective, but it's not. It's I not. like their sourdough 
uh, sourdough jack. That's pretty good. That's and, pretty good. Uh, yeah. I like Carl's Jr.'s burgers too. Like they're they have some big ones that I like. And I remember I remember eating some Western bacon's back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, those are good. So Hardee's is out here. That's the uh, that's the version of Carl's Jr. that exists in the South, and it is okay. not Carl's Jr. in any capacity. Really? Different things on the menu, and it's gross. I thought it was the same. Full oh, gross. I didn't realize that. Different stuff on the menu. Like I couldn't find a Western bacon cheeseburger the one time I tried it here. No, it's garbage. Oh. Yeah. Well, then now we know. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, we got a. There's a, more here. Yeah. There's more here. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Is Larry Scott Darth Sidious and the Pac-12 network the Death Star destroying any additional revenue for the Pac-12, sending it into darkness? Hopefully Ryan can be Han Solo and Dave can be Obi-Wan Kenobi. Is there any possible way you two can help save the Pac-12 from the dark side? I have no idea what is being spoken here. <laughs> Wait, you're a Star Wars expert. I think it's a nonsense analogy. I think he's trying to like provide a nonsense analogy because this doesn't So Darth Sidious, that's that's the emperor, right? Isn't I think that so. his given or his taken name or whatever? Yeah. And we know what the Death Star is. Destroying a like it's just there's a lot here. There's a lot to unpack. We're on hour two already. I don't I don't really get what's going on here. Can we be the ones to save it? I, d- I just don't know. I, I really doubt it because we run a podcast that, you know, <laughs> goes out to maybe 2,500 people on a given off-season day. More like 4,000, but still. More like 4,000. I'm underselling it. Right. We're, we'll try. We're here. We're not here because we just want to make fun of the Pac. We want to see the Pac-12 succeed if no one's really asking our opinions. But I think us talking about it, and reading what John Wilner writes and what Kyle Bonagora, like everyone that covers the Pac-12 and makes people aware, more aware of the the things that are going on wrong during Larry Scott's tenure than they were during uh, uh, the you know the previous ones. Um, I think that certainly helps. You know, like everyone com- complaining about playing the Friday night road game after a, a Saturday road game. Well, those went away. So. I think we've helped to make it better. It's not like they just listened to us, but everyone was talking about it. So us being part of that voice, I think it certainly can help. You know, now a lot of people have been voicing about displeasure of not having DirecTV. That hasn't pushed the Pac-12 over the edge to to doing something about it. But you know, we're that voice out there advocating for it and uh, you know being part of the process. I guess. Yeah. Um. So we're trying to help. I don't know. Uh. I still haven't seen Solo yet, but we have to I have to go see that. Okay, I'm only seeing bad things about it. But you said it was pretty good, so I want to watch it. It was it was it was a fine movie. I think you okay. I think you'd have a good time. All right, this one is from Rick. I don't know where he's. It's probably Rick in L.A. or something, but I'm not sure. It's so he starts off. You guys suck. <laughs> Thanks, Rick. Uh, this is definitely one of the eight worst podcasts I've ever listened to. Uh, then he signs it. Oh, Rick Neuheisel. So Rick Neuheisel does not like our show. <laughs> oh, that's good. Man, I feel bad because I like Rick a lot. And now because I'm associated with Dave, he doesn't like our show. I know. It's really sad. It's really sad. But he emailed in and that's nice. It's nice Thank to you, hear Rick. from Rick. Um, all right. This is from Bernie. Questions for Ryan. 
I noticed over the last two years that USC has lost some recruiting momentum when it comes to the big fish five-star recruits. It seems that teams from the SEC, Big Ten, etc. are coming in and cherry-picking the elite talent, especially when it comes to the offensive line. That used to never happen to the degree it is now. Take Chris Steele, the safety, for instance. I see now the crystal ball predictions have him headed to Florida State when he was previously thought to be a heavy lean to USC. So my question is, can USC, with its current coaching staff, regain its recruiting prowess like it had during the Pete Carroll reign? Um, okay, so do you want me to answer this first, or do you want to read I the other? I would love for you to answer this one first. Okay, so first of all, I mean, if you were talking about verbals, don't mean anything. Crystal balls mean absolutely nothing. <laughs> um, and I don't think they've lost momentum. I mean, they were the fourth-ranked class nationally in 2018. Um they didn't get a bunch of offensive linemen in 18, but they had like five of them in 2017, including like, uh, you know, five-star kit. So they've definitely, you know, brought in guys. You got uh, like an Amon Ross, St. Bra- like two five-star guys from modern day alone. Um, Talano Hufunga was a, a, you know, five-star dude up in Corvallis. Um, they they brought in Pellier, Yotiote, you know, JT Daniels, Isaac Taylor Stewart, I mean, and Elijah Griffin. Like they signed a crap load of high-end four and five star guys last year. I don't think that's any that's I don't think that's USC's problem at all. Um it's not the number one class, but it's top five, you know. So like well what what are you gonna say? Yeah, like I don't I don't think that's losing recruiting momentum. No, I don't think so either. Um so no, I don't think there's much to that. Should I get to the second part here? Sure. Yeah. For Dave, will UCLA have a top twenty recruiting class in twenty nineteen? Ooh. Hmm. I have no idea. Why not? Sure. Top 20. It'll be fringe top 20. Let's go with that. Yeah. Okay. Um, I would, I would agree. I think I wouldn't worry too much about what's going on now. Um, it just, things change with the early signing period a little bit, but, uh, it's not as different. It would be if it was like signing in July. Yeah. No, for sure. But it is June. I, I love talking recruiting and stuff, but it's like hard to take it seriously if you're worried about right now they're only ranked 18 and it's like yeah <laughs> it doesn't matter right now that stuff doesn't really matter if you get a bunch of like commits from four or five star guys that's awesome it's not like it's terrible but you can't worry that you know some guy saw or like verbal somewhere else or he, he left them out of the top five like that changes all the time all that stuff changes yeah and it'll change a million times in the next six months. Yeah, it was like, oh, this 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 local kid's crystal ball to be somewhere else. Like, yeah, that doesn't really matter, right? And it also like it fundamentally doesn't matter. Like, if you as UCLA has proved over the last whatever twenty years, you can get all the recruits in the world and still, you know, blow. <laughs> I mean, it's just yeah. It depends on coaching more than than the players. And I know our man Andrew has recruiting rankings proving otherwise and the whole thing, but. Um, it's it's part and parcel. Everything's a piece, but um, I think we in the off seasons we focus so much on the recruiting aspect, and I think there's like a baseline level you need to be to be good. Um, and I don't think it's you know consistently chunking out you know top five, top ten classes. I think if you're consistently getting goodish talent and you have a good staff that can develop them and turn them into players, then whatever, who cares who they get? Yeah. All right, we got a text question. Uh, I love you guys' podcast, but Dave's Dave's take on Star Wars is so bad. I almost unsubscribed. 
It's funny the when you get a text, how the the uh, the prose is different. You know, like there's words that are like not capitalized or com- uh-huh. combined. It's all kinds of stuff. It's, it's a little different reading a text. Um, you rank the last Jedi ahead of Return of the Jedi. The last Jedi with Leia, with here. I think it, I think it means her with her Mary Poppins moment with the complete destruction of any storylines. Uh, it has the lowest Rotten Tomato audience score out of the entire series. What a terrible ranking. You should have, you should have ashamed of you. I think you should be should ashamed be, of yourself. Is probably what he's going for there. That's yeah, a, that's an autocorrect error. Um, so the, yeah, this so this is probably the one probably, and I think I mentioned this when I was given my rankings. This is the one where people would have the most consternation about. Um, I think the Rotten Tomatoes score is it's significantly influenced by a bunch of really really dumb and shitty trolls who decided they were going to artificially lower the score. I do think there's some legitimate dislike of the movie. Um, I think some of it comes from that Mary Poppins Poppins moment, which I found off-putting in the movie. I don't think they... Honestly, I think it would have worked, but I thought the cinematography was a little screwed up on that part of the movie. That's the one where her, like, eyes open in space because... And I think the main issue was she had died so... Uh, recently before the movie that everyone watching the scene as you're watching it you're thinking oh they're doing like a hero shot for her because you know Carrie Fisher died like oh this is actually kind of nice and then it turns into this thing where her eyes open and she flies into the ship now take yourself out of it for a second if Carrie Fisher hadn't just died and you weren't bringing that into the movie would it have played as weird like that whole scene from beginning to end maybe but I don't think it would have played quite as weird. Um, but the, otherwise, aside from that, it was the first Star Wars movie, I think, since Empire Strikes Back that felt like an actual movie. Um, it had characters who actually developed um, from beginning to end. Um, realistic portrayal of where, you know, if you had a Luke Skywalker, where would he be 25 years later? after a bunch of negative stuff has happened. You know, you got to remember about Luke. He's a quitter. That's what he likes to do. He quit in Dagobah to go save his friends because the training was hard and kind of dumpy. That's what he likes to do. He likes to go off and do something new. And so he went off and, you know, lived out his fantasy of being a hermit. Um, I think all of that made sense intuitively with the characters. And it's not what... I think people who are nostalgic about Star Wars necessarily wanted, and I completely understand that. And if you're saying Return of the Jedi was a good movie, then you're definitely nostalgic about Star Wars. Um, But I I think it worked better as a movie. Um, I think it made more sense as, you know, like a narrative, a beginning-to-end narrative. Um, And I thought J.J. Abrams dealt Ryan Johnson, the director of this movie, a bad hand with really, really dumb and bad choices with The Force Awakens. Um, and I thought he saved the the arc of the full trilogy um, with the choices he made in this one. Now, would it have been nice if they'd game-planned all of this beforehand and we'd actually gotten a last scene between Han Solo and Luke Skywalker and the whole deal? Yeah, that would have been great. We didn't, though, because whatever choices J.J. Abrams made and whatever choices Ryan Johnson made, and obviously Carrie Fisher um, passed away, so we didn't get any kind of final reconciliation or scene between any of those three but um you know in the end i thought it was a really really good movie i think a lot of the criticism outside so that mary poppins moment i tend to agree i think it played weird 
Everything else, though, I mean, was there a cooler shot in the entire franchise than the spaceship flying into the other ship and doing that whole weird cutscene? That was super cool. Um, that was cool, yeah. So, I don't know. I think uh, I think people are bringing a lot of other stuff into um, this, and I think you know it's it's part and parcel with uh, everything today. But I think people are bringing a lot of other things into their appreciation of this as a movie. No, I don't like, I like watching, I, I go to all of them, but I don't like read the stuff outside of when movies come out and stuff. Is there, was there like regret that they just didn't let Princess Leia die because she actually died, you know, like, cause Carrie Fisher actually died. Like, it seemed like that would have been a fitting kind of end, but that's why. Kind of- and I think that's why it played weird for me. I didn't read any criticism like that. Um, but I think that I, I was thinking about it more actually in response to this, cause I saw this text message. And I think that's why it played weird for me. So I'm wondering if that's why it played weird for everyone else. Because it is a weird choice. Like, it looked weird. Um, and so I don't know if it was, like, shot necessarily the way you would ideally want to shoot that. I don't know all that much about filmmaking. Um, but I wonder if we were all bringing a little bit into the movie in terms of her recent death. Because, yeah, my, my read on the movie was, yeah, this would make sense for her to be dead right now. Like, for this to be the final moment. And then have yeah. it be kind of a hero shot, and then everyone else moves on. Yeah. So. Anyway, you need, to, you need her there at the end of the movie to like realize that Luke really wasn't there, and he gives her the the dice or whatever, and all that stuff. I don't know, but but then just don't have that whole thing happen, right? Yeah. Like, don't have her get blown out of the front of the ship and all that kind of stuff. But I guess then they're trying to show that Kylo Ren is that his name? Yeah, Kylo Ren is conflicted about killing his mom and so he doesn't take the shot and then somebody else does but whatever um so that's our star wars soliloquy for this week yeah so she does have like jedi powers right like but she never like became a jedi or anything i don't think so but i mean you got to figure she's had 25 years between movies she learned how to do something yeah she's like if i die in space i'll be able to float and not like and float myself back and Mary Poppins myself back into the ship. That that was her that was her Jedi power. Well, I mean, like, think about it. Like, Luke learns to do a bunch of new stuff in between the stupid movies and the original trilogy. That she could learn how to like hold her breath in space and, you know, gently fly back to a ship. I don't yeah. know. It's, they're, they're, it's a movie about it's a, a series of movies about space wizards. I mean, whatever. They do some right. stuff. Wait, could it could it have been Kylo Ren or whatever? Like, is that his name? Um, yeah, maybe he like, was. Maybe he was tossing his mom back into the ship. You don't know. Yeah, was he doing that? Was he putting yeah, some force thing on and her? She and... was just putting her hand out for fun. I don't know. Oh, oh yeah, that's true. She put her hand out. Okay, we should probably move on. <laughs> um, this is Earl in West LA, Conference of Champions. Guys, do you think the conference is slowly playing itself out of relevance? Since 1960, 78 years ago, two schools have dominated the two major sports, football and basketball. With the exception one-off Washington, USC has garnered all national football championships, and UCLA, with the exception of one-off Arizona, has won all the NCAA basketball championships. How does the conference overcome the perception of being weak when only one school dominates their sport? Ooh, that's actually a really interesting stat. Yeah, and then, but neither of those teams have dominated their sport recently, so it's like nobody's do- like that's the problem. There's no one's dominating any of it. Yeah, um, we've seen Washington in the playoff. We've seen Oregon play for a national championship, but like no one's broken through and and actually won. So I I think that's what that's what hurts. It, you know, I don't, if it 
if UCLA came back and won a basketball championship, I don't think it's bad because it's UCLA. Uh, it's good that a Pac-12 team won it, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, if you if you go back, if, if you're instead gauging this instead of from 1960, you gauge it from 1991, I mean, counting the, vacate, the vacated stuff, USC has won one, Washington has won one, and UCLA has won one, and Arizona has won one. So it's actually even between those schools since 1991. It's just when you factor in a bunch of stuff in the... 70s that it becomes a little bit outsized yeah and it's it's uh there's there's just a lack of major championships from the conference and you know that you know it's great to win 500 championships in all sports and you're winning all kinds of stuff in all the other sports but this is what drives revenue and this is what everyone talks about and this is what your high profile stuff gets it's not you know like uh, it's great Arizona won the women's golf, you know, national championship. But I think people would much rather see Arizona win a basketball championship. Oh yeah, <laughs> so excuse me. Okay, uh, good one from Earl. Good from Earl. Uh, let's see. Oh, we got a text. Hey guys, Brian and Livermore here. I thought you'd be able to tell from my last text it was me. Definitely a dude and not a lady, but my fault to assume that you would take the extra two seconds to read the text string history to figure out who was texting or save the contact name and Google voice to ensure you know which listeners were consistently writing in. So definitely not the second part, um, and they don't string with the emails that we get sent, so that's why we sometimes sound kind of doofy. Yeah, we're, we're I'm usually reading them through the emails because it kind of keeps our, we try to go the order of the questions have come in. So we apologize for that. Maybe we should go back and look. No, at no, that. don't apologize. Move on. All right. Good job. Contributing to the success of the podcast, David. Um, <laughs> okay. That was just a shot at you. Yeah, Either so way, good. still hope you guys <laughs> keep it up as you do a fantastic job covering the entire conference. And I'm glad you don't get paid by the network because they'd force you to make stupid decisions about what to cover. I can honestly say as an avid Oregon football fan and a university alum that I've never seen or cared to see the dance slash aerobics team compete with Baylor every year for their natty. Does it make me proud? Yes. Does it make me spend an hour or way more on Monday morning talking shit to the Washington fan slash alum at work that sits across from me because I watched it without interruption by my two kids? Hell no. But here's the question for, for David. Do you have or will you have to take your kids to a UCLA football game and what recommendations would you give to other avid football parents with kids under four on how to attend a game and have a good time? Uh, bring somebody else to watch your kids. Nice. That's all I've got. Um, my So I, I took my uh, oldest daughter when she was a baby to a game. Um, like she couldn't have been, well, I guess she was six months old. Um, and that was actually fine. Uh, taking a very small baby to a game, yeah, you're going to have to change some diapers, and she might you know, cry a little bit at different points, but they're lumpy. You don't have to watch them. They're not moving around a bunch. Under four, though, and between like two and four, kids are just moving around all the time. Like, If you're trying to actually watch the game, um, then... Uh, you got to have somebody else there to, to hang out with the kids. And, you know, if it's more than one child, I mean, bring at least two people to watch the kids. Um, but if, uh, if you're not trying to watch the game, I, I don't know why you're taking your kid to a football game in the first place. I mean, there's so many 
better things to do with children than have them sit and watch something they're not interested in. And I've never in life met a sub four year old who's actually interested in watching a football game. So long story short, I wouldn't do this thing that you're requesting. Um, but if I was, I would only do it when the kids are super young. Um, once they get closer to four, it just becomes such a pain in the butt that it wouldn't be worth it. Yeah. I don't have kids, but I've, I've gone with kids to games and I'm like my, my niece and things like that. And it's just, if you want to watch the game, it ends up being very, uh, very difficult until they get to the point where they can actually sit there. I mean, to, to ask a human to sit in the same seat for four hours and, um, no, it's, it's not easy. So having a kid do it, like after five minutes, they're ready to get the heck out of there. Yeah. And you also like, think about like going to a game and like the bathroom situation, like if you have to go pee. Then think about like a kid who's not used to holding their bladder for whatever. And so if they're potty trained and, you know, if they're three or four, odds are they're potty trained. Um, if they're deep into two, odds are they're potty trained. So that means they're not needing diapers, but it probably means they have to pee every hour and a half. Um, and that's a pain in the butt at a football game. And if you're sitting in the stands for four plus hours... You know, that's a couple of times you're going to have to get up and go do that, and they're going to get bored. So you have to bring a bunch of electronics equipment to keep them occupied, or books, or whatever. It's just, I, I would say more trouble than it's worth. I know there's an instinct to want to get your kids involved in the things that are that are interesting to you, and I completely get that, and I think it's a fair and valid thing. But do that by like watching the games at home and making it a fun experience. You know, Don't do it by bringing them to a football game, because... I just don't think that's going to make it a fun experience for them. Unless you're fully committed to that aspect of it, you're willing to only stay in the seats for 45 minutes, and then you're completely down to leave and go elsewhere. Because their attention span is not going to carry them through a three-and-a-half-hour game. Nice. All right, we have one more, I think? or Yeah, one more. Uh, guys, are you okay? Is this a hostage situation? Text, quote, the stream is alive if you're in danger and can't podcast. I'll alert the authorities. Oh, we're live. We're live, and this is going to get up tonight. Nice. It'll be up. As long as Dave puts it up, which... Yeah, and it's touch and go. I'm not 100% confident that Dave will put it up, but, you know, if you're listening to this, then he put it up. So, yay. Yay! Or, or he did it, then I put it up the next day. <laughs> Somehow. I, actually, I can't, because I don't have a... But, you know. Yeah, I'll just send you the file and just say, ah, well, you do it. <laughs> All right. Well, cool. Cool, man. Well, we went a little longer than we planned, but. We always do. Um, but, you know, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, I think it was solid. I would give it a solid, uh, I don't know. It felt like a C plus, B minus on a relative scale. Yeah, we need more Star Wars. More Star Wars, less of whatever we were talking about in the first, like, hour. <laughs> and, uh. I mean, actual football stuff. We don't want to talk more about. Oh that. man, this is a long off season. It That's is always, so yeah. so long. Yeah. Well, we'll see. They. Uh, I was at USC this morning. They're starting their summer workouts. The freshmen arrived, so there might be some more newsy stuff happening. Um, but keep sending the ideas. Keep sending the questions. It's it's fun to do, you know answer a bunch of questions and hypothetical hypothetical things. Um, I'll send an email out to the reg uh, the other uh, publishers um, about the uh, question we got from Mark about uh, 
going back in time and changing one thing in history, see if we get some good answers from some of the other publishers. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. I think that will give us uh, something to talk about at least next week. Yeah, nice. Keep sending the questions. Thanks uh, for listening. We do appreciate it You know, through this offseason. Uh, we squeezed the show in this week on, on a Friday. But hope you guys have a great weekend. That's David Woods. I'm Ryan Abraham, and we will talk to you next time.